you know, it's not Karachi, it is not East Pakistan, this is not India, this is not Ireland, this is never records, this is never records, this is never records. And certainly me. In the crashing. In the booth with never records. Nice. With 13 minutes. Across the ocean, from New York to Liverpool to Derry, we are the ones who believe that through joy we can forever live. You are not listening to Never Records on Converge Radio 99.9 FM. Welcome to episode 86 of Never Records Radio. My name is Ted Reederer, and I'm an artist and musician who lives and works in New York City. From the Mississippi to the River Jordan and back to the Missouri, I've recorded musicians, poets, historians, spoken word artists, anyone who wants to cut a vinyl record for free in my conceptual art project, Never Records. The Never Records archive continues to grow. To this date, there are over 500 recordings from more than nine cities around the world. This past fall, I was invited to bring Never Records to Kansas City as part of the inaugural year of Open Spaces, a Midwestern triennial curated by Dan Cameron. Over the course of two months, I made over 100 recordings capturing the incredibly diverse Kansas City soundscape. Let me describe this next recording to you. This summer, I'm gonna embed a vinyl record time capsule into the walls of a gallery in Brooklyn for a century and beyond, hopefully. I'm calling this artwork Persistent Echoes, and I hope to send sounds into the future that capture the spirit of our lives at this very turbulent present. The radio transmission pioneer, Guglielmo Marconi, believed that sound never dies. That the echoes of every voice, every song, and every cry resonate forever. He believed that if he could build a radio receiver powerful enough, that he could play Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful, poetic, mad idea. And even though he professed this belief after surviving a stroke later in life when he was not of sound mind, and even though the science is impossible, I choose to believe it. According to Trevor Cox, author of Sonic Wonderland, The longest reverb ever recorded is in a 5.6 million gallon storage tank in Scotland. It lasted for one minute and 12 seconds. I hope that my Persistent Echoes project lasts hundreds of years. So in the spirit of capturing the zeitgeist of a place and a time, I'm going to let sound, songs and poems tell the story of Kansas City what it felt like to be there. And we'll start 
with a poem by Jermaine Thompson. I guess you heard that. Son, next time Cousin Chicago comes down and asks all proper, what is there to do around here? Don't you answer him with that sorry nothing shrug and start rambling about the bowling alley and skating rink the next town over. Tell him Optimus Prime will die and resurrect at Northgate Cinema 4, the same as at Hollywood 16. Tell him round here we foot race down quarter mile gravel. We two hand tackle till chiggers itch us through. We basketball on hoops of cedar and round head bolts. We baseball till cousin too big to be playing smacks another souvenir up to Jesus. Tell his little squarehead self, bowling is for fat-shaped golf types who fool themselves they athletes. Tell him the only sit-down restaurant is the Mexican place off 25. It ain't no good, so we hang supper up by its heels. Spoon its red-blue guts to the cats. Pluck our hands sticky with white feathers. Tell him he's just in time to go to Pawpaw's to grab a cold tin lap bowl and slick his thumbs through the stomachs of bean shoots or help silk out earworms. Tell him and make sure he hears you clear as the sweat on a drink of ice water, loud as a stream of cow piss. Tell him that this round here is living and living is enough to do. Side Bomber is based on a true tale from Kansas City. Carrie and I missed a, all the action. We took a day trip to a nature preserve about 100 miles away and had a very relaxing time amongst thousands of fowl in a wetlands up I-29 towards St. Joe. While we were gone, all hell was breaking loose in our neighborhood. By the time we got back that night, everything was cool again. We missed it. The Brookside Bomber had been apprehended. 
Actually, he turned himself in, him and one of his teachers at the Kansas City Art Institute. They were scaring the locals. The student was one of my interns in the library. He was a sweet kid from St. Joseph, Missouri. So the next morning, I'm having a cup of coffee on my front porch, and one of my neighbors yells, Do you know that art student terrorist? What? I yelled back. One of those KCAI students, he got arrested for putting bombs all over Brookside. Really? I yelled back and took a long pull on my coffee. Yeah, his name is Frank. I spit coffee all over my porch. Frank is a choir boy. Let me see that newspaper. And there it was all over the front page with Frank in a classic perp photo. As best as I could tell, Frank had painted a lot of trash white and placed it on the porches of people who had left the trash on the curb the night before. I later found out that Frank had picked up the trash throughout Brookside neighborhood, gathering broken TVs, lawnmowers, pieces of furniture, and a few more traditional trash bags. He threw all this bulky trash, as it's known in Kansas City, into the back of his pickup truck and took it back to school, carefully recording the address of each item. The trash was painted white using a brush, and when it dried, Frank attached a pressure-release sound button that played Elvis's Return to Cinder. Then he took all those items back to the original addresses and installed them on the front porches of the homes where they had been released. When the homeowners woke up the next morning and saw their now white trash on their porch, most of them had a what the hell moment before lifting the trash and taking it back to the curb. So how did all this turn into terrorism? Well, one woman lifted a white trash bag and immediately yelled, ow, it burned me. We'll never know why she said that. This was shortly after some incidents had made national news when anthrax was mailed to a few businesses out in the country. It wasn't long after 9-11 and the whole country had the willies. At any rate, she yelled it, another neighbor heard it and said, hey, I had someone out white trash on my porch too. 911 was called, the bomb squad was called, the FBI was called, you name it, they got called. It was a large scale case of white trash in Brookside. Entire blocks were cordoned off. Local television went live, breaking news, terrorism in Brookside. When the cops picked up Frank at school, they handcuffed him and they took him down to the police station's evidence room. There they showed him an impressive pile of white trash. Frank looked around and said, huh, where's the rest of it? The cop said, you mean there's more? And Frank said, oh yeah, I painted a lot of trash white last night. Apparently the rest had all been picked up and taken to the dump in trash trucks, just like you would expect. Frank's parents hired a lawyer and the DA tried to figure out exactly what crime to charge him with. I doubt painting trash is really a crime, but who knows, towns have some funny laws. Frank missed his next shift in the library, but he showed up the second night looking pretty stressed. At this point, the DA was insisting he might follow through with some kind of terrorism charge, and Frank was looking at 40 years in prison. I gave him some advice. Look, kid, I know this is a mess, and I know the lawyer's fees are going to get pretty pricey, but this is not going to stick. And here's the bright side. All this press, you're going to get into any MFA program you want. Sure enough, the charges were reduced to something like, oh, being a nuisance, and he had to write some apology letters to the homeowners. And the next summer after graduation, I came upon Frank and some of his classmates working in the foundation building at KCAI. They had built a giant letter in, and they were rigging it up to play a song. The next morning, when Frank's parents started out of their house, they were greeted by this giant letter in, which was leaning against the front of their house, 
and it was playing. This is the end. This is the end. This is the end. And Frank was on his way to New Haven to an MFA at Yale. I'm right there with you in a time all too much. I'm right there with you just trying not to give up. I'm right there with you just hope for the best. I'm right there with you and I'll help clean Tell me 
Dreams of Flight 1. Beautiful eyes were welled up with tears, a feeling he was never alone now. I held his head in my lap. He was allowing me truly into his heart, spirit, and mind. This was a gift to me. So tender yet afraid, and he eventually trusted he was safe. And because of this, he saved my life. Even his flaws were beautiful. Two, I was told that the past held the heavy weights of the world, like sediment, the rocks, sand, dirt, layered together in a formation of flavors. I was told that the past could not be changed, I was told that within the past held the most golden truth. But I remember when I couldn't see your face in the water's reflection. I remember that your eyes are blue and your touch was rough, but I don't remember your words. I keep telling myself, remember when he told you that your eyes were as warm as the summer. So I tried and tried to remember the feeling of heat around noon. I couldn't hear your poems or the songs you sang to me at night. I couldn't. So I recall about three months after Aries left the sun, I remember my will to forget. Three, we tell the story every year when David beat Goliath. He only three, able to make a nine-year-old cry. He won the battle, he didn't win the war. We never tell the story of his demise his fingers shaking to write us letters, our only way of communicating. No one will answer his call. We tell the story every year and pretend like we don't miss his voice. Four, I remember the smell of his pipe, the tobacco sweeter than a plug of cane, the blue cloud like butterscotch in Granny's purse. Story was he lost the pinky ring and middle fingers on his left hand, messing around with shaved ice for summer children. 
I remember his blue overalls, his heavy winter coat, how you couldn't call his name without saying how many head of cattle he owned, how many acres he had. He was the quiet royal of Shallow Road, and when he packed his pipe, the sun had permission to set. Five. I remember when House was only ongoing listening, only the one to the other ear, this the structure and interior, one to other listening. The many outside rained words on the windows. I remember when I never thought the structure of company. An open window let enter fighting words. They pattered in one by one as if a little rain. Bomb, riot, president, war, I heard I remember the sound from inside the house. Who hears now and where? All windows wide and a cold downpour. You are not listening to Never Records. You just heard in order of appearance the poet Jermaine Thompson, Aaron Sobchak's version of Mon Petit Chou, an excerpt of a series of short stories by Mo Dickens from the Belger Art Center, an amazingly fun track to record by Riley Downing called On My Way. And we bookended today's episode with a Jermaine Thompson poetry workshop featuring Skynice, Izzy, Ashley, Anne, and Jermaine called Dreams of Flight. Kansas City has this languid sensibility that belies bottomless depth, and I hope today's episode conveyed this. It's truly a special place. Thank you for listening to Never Records. A heartfelt thanks and a big hug to all the musicians and artists that make Never Records possible. For more information and video from today's session, please visit neverrecords.net. This show would not be heard if it weren't for Scott Morfitt and Eli Klatt, Converge Radio, who put Never Records on the airwaves with support from the UW-Eau Claire Foundation. You are not listening to Never Records.